Please take a, a seat. And do have those words of Luke's gospel, please, in front of you, the last little uh, section of it tonight. And let's pray as we come to these things. Father, as we've just sung, we thank you that our Lord Jesus reigns on high, enthroned in the heavens, word of the Father, exalted for us. And as we ascension, we pray that you would be with me as I speak on these things and be with us all as we reflect on the glory of our risen and ascended Lord Jesus, in whose name we ask these things. Amen. So here we are at the final sermon now in this mammoth series in Luke's Gospel. Well done for getting uh, to the end of it. Purely uh, in terms of the number of words, the Gospel of Luke is comfortably the longest book in all of the New Testament. And it has taken us something like 110 sermons, I don't know exactly, but about 110 sermons to get through Luke's Gospel from the very beginning to the very end. And we come to this concluding uh, scene this evening in chapter 24, verses 50 to 53. And as we look at these things this evening, I'd like us to notice, first of all, just two things, really, about Jesus. Uh, we'll unpack those two things, but basically two things that we should know about Jesus. And then we'll think about just a few ways to respond to these two things. And so the, the first thing to notice about Jesus, very simply, is this. Jesus blesses his disciples. Jesus blesses his disciples. And we're picking up with a story this evening in verse 50. It's now 40 days since the resurrection has taken place. And in those 40 days, Jesus has, as you know, appeared to his disciples on numerous different occasions. He's appeared to various different groups of people. At one time, Paul tells us he, arrived, he appeared to a group of over 500 people all at once. And Jesus has been spending time with his disciples, that inner circle. And he's been teaching them more things about himself. He has been opening their minds to understand the scriptures. And now the time for his return to heaven has come. And so Jesus takes his disciples on one last journey. And they leave Jerusalem. They take the mile and a half, two mile walk over to Bethany, a place just on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. It is, of course, a, a place that they're very familiar with. They've been here many times before. And it's here that Jesus decides he will make his departure from them and he will return now to his Father in heaven. But just before he does so, Luke tells us this. He led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, 
he blessed them. You notice, don't you, that there is something priestly about what Jesus does here, isn't there? As he lifts up his hands and blesses this gathering of disciples before him. One commentator has put it like this, as Aaron, the high priest, lifted up his hands towards the people of Israel and blessed them when he first offered the offerings for them. So Christ, as the great high priest, having offered himself as a sacrifice for the sins of his people, lifted up his hands and blessed them. And by this blessing, Jesus imparts to his disciples peace and welfare and power to serve him. And it's notable, isn't it, that the very last action of Jesus in the gospel is that he blesses his disciples. And it's worth asking ourselves this evening, well, why is that the very last thing that Jesus does before he returns to heaven? You think about it, he could have done this at any time, really, couldn't he? He could have done it a fortnight earlier if he had so wished. Uh, there's clearly something significant about this particular time. Why does Jesus leave this act of blessing his disciples in this particular way until the very moment of his ascension to heaven? And the reason is that Jesus is intending here to leave a lasting impression on his disciples. If you like, this is how Jesus wants his disciples to remember him whenever they think of him. That the very last time they saw him as he went into heaven, he was in the process of blessing them. It's Jesus' way of showing that his ascension does, does not put an end to him blessing his disciples, but rather it continues it, even from a heavenly vantage point. I think that J.C. Riley is right when he says it was intended to, ensure, to assure the disciples of what Jesus would yet do after he left the world. He came on earth to bless and not to curse, and blessing he departed. He came in love and not in anger, and in love he went away. He came not as a condemning judge, but as a compassionate friend, and as a friend he returned to his father. He had been a saviour full of blessings to his little flock while he had been with them. He would be a saviour full of blessings to them even after he was taken away. This applies, of course, not just to those disciples who were there on that day, but as well as that, it applies, doesn't it, to all of Christ's disciples. That simply this is to be our lasting impression of Jesus. Uh, simply that he is one who blesses his disciples. He's not here physically anymore. He's ascended to heaven, and yet nonetheless, even though he is physically separated from us, still he pours out his blessing upon his people, his church, because he is our great high priest.
Be assured that he lives today. He lives in heaven to bless us still. And therefore, whatever we might be going through in life at the moment, if you're one of his people, you know this evening that the blessing of Jesus is upon you to comfort you, to strengthen you, to give you peace. And then here's the second thing to notice about Jesus this evening. And very simply, Jesus has ascended into heaven. Jesus has ascended into heaven. And Luke describes the ascension for us just very briefly, doesn't he, here? In verse 51, he says, While Jesus blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. I wonder how much you think about the ascension of Jesus. If we're honest, it's not something we think about a great deal, is it? Uh, we focus a lot on the birth of Jesus, at Christmas time in particular. We focus a lot, don't we, on the, the life and the ministry of Jesus, his miracles, his teaching. Uh, we spend a, a lot of time thinking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and rightly so, we think about these things a, a great deal. And yet when it comes to the ascension of Jesus, it, it feels almost like an afterthought, doesn't it, if we're really honest. And yet as we focus on the ascension of Jesus this evening, I hope that we'll come to see why it is such an important event for us. I'd like to spend a bit of time thinking about four reasons why the ascension of Jesus is so important. And the, the first is this, that the ascension shows that Jesus is king in heaven. The ascension shows that Jesus is king in heaven. On the 2nd of June, 1953, the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II took place in Westminster Abbey. But as I'm sure you are probably aware, Elizabeth didn't become the queen on that particular day because she was already the queen. She'd been queen for about 16 months already since the day her father died in the February of the previous year. And in a slightly similar way, we can say that Jesus was already king before his ascension. But the ascension of Jesus into heaven is, if you like, his coronation as the king in heaven. It is this, this grand, glorious occasion as people look on. When Jesus leaves the earth and ascends into heaven and there is seated on the throne as king in heaven, as the one who rules over all things. Now way back in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel had been given a sneak preview of this day in advance, this vision of what this glorious day of ascension into heaven and enthronement there would be like for the Son of Man. So Daniel writes, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion 
which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Paul speaks of this, doesn't he, in Philippians chapter 2. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in Revelation 3, Jesus says these words to the church in Laodicea, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And you see, the ascension is this day of of Christ's glorious coronation on the throne of heaven. The ascension is there to show us that Jesus is king in heaven. And that thought should comfort us and assure us, shouldn't it? That no matter how chaotic and, and troubling life here on earth might feel for us at times, we know that right now Jesus is king in heaven. He's ruling over all. And as Daniel tells us, his dominion is an everlasting dominion, one that will never pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So the ascension shows us that Jesus is king in heaven. And then here's the second reason the ascension is important. The ascension shows that we have an advocate in heaven. Not only is Jesus our perfect heavenly king, As well as that, he is also our perfect heavenly priest. And we need a priest. God is perfectly holy. We are sinful people. We cannot come to God ourselves. We would be swallowed up in God's right judgment against our sin. And so the only way that it's possible for us to draw near to God is to come to him through a priest, through a mediator. To come to him through one who has offered a sacrifice for our sin. And who can therefore act as our advocate before God. And of course the only priest who fits the bill is the ascended Jesus. The ascension shows that he has gone into heaven. And he has done so on our behalf. Gone there as our great high priest. Our mediator. Our advocate. The one who intercedes for us there. John Calvin puts it like this. He says, having entered a sanctuary not made with hands, that is the the heavenly places, Jesus appears before the Father's face as our constant advocate and intercessor. Thus he turns the Father's eyes to his own righteousness to avert his gaze from our sins. He so reconciles the Father's heart to us that by his intercession he prepares a way and access for us to the Father's throne. And again, it should fill us with assurance, shouldn't it, when we're so conscious of our own sinfulness, our own unworthiness before God, when we're troubled with guilt. And when you feel like that, remember the ascension. The ascension shows us we have an advocate in heaven. Paul writes to the Romans, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And in John's first letter, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. 
But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. As the hymn writer puts it so well, before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Then the third reason the ascension is important is this. The ascension assures us of our entrance into heaven. The ascension assures us of our entrance into heaven. So ask yourself this. How do you even know? How do you even know that it is possible for a human being to get into heaven? Imagine a a non-Christian friend asked you that. Imagine they said, well, let's assume that there is a God. Let's assume that there is a heaven. What makes you think that a human being can even get there? How do you know that? The answer is very simply the ascension. Because the disciples saw Jesus ascend into heaven. And as he did so, he he did not discard his humanity. That is, he didn't leave his human body and his human soul behind as though he didn't need it anymore. Or worse still, as though humanity was not welcome in heaven and so humanity was discarded before Jesus ascended. Now the human nature, body and soul, that God the Son took to himself in his incarnation that he retains even in his ascension to heaven. He ascends to heaven as a human being, body and soul. And therefore, the ascension assures us that if we're united to Jesus, that we will enter heaven as well. The Heidelberg Catechism, I think, puts this so well. It says, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he our head will also take us his members up to himself what a thought that is we have our flesh in heaven because we have Jesus in heaven and we're united to him on the the same issue Calvin writes these words He, he says the Lord by his ascent to heaven opened the way into the heavenly kingdom which had been closed through Adam since he entered heaven in our flesh as if in our name it follows as the apostle says that in a sense we already sit with God in the heavenly places in him so that we do not await heaven with a bare hope but in Christ our head already possess it. And when Jesus was in the upper room with the disciples, he comforted his disciples with this very thought, didn't he? He said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you see, don't you, when we think of the ascension of Jesus into heaven uh, as the, the human being, Jesus, God and man, ascends to heaven, 
It should fill us with this assurance that one day we will go to be with him as well. It assures us of our entrance into heaven if we're trusting in Christ. And then fourthly, the ascension paves the way for the sending of the Spirit from heaven. The ascension paves the way for the sending of the Spirit from heaven. I wonder if you've ever thought to yourself, wouldn't it be amazing if you had been alive when Jesus walked the earth? I wonder if you've ever had that thought, that you could have gone to meet him personally. You could have listened to his teaching live. You could have witnessed his miracles. You could even have been there at his crucifixion. You could have watched it take place. You could have then gone to the empty tomb on the Sunday morning and you could have seen the risen Jesus. Wouldn't it have been amazing to to see all of those things had you walked the earth when Jesus did? And yet Jesus makes it very clear that actually believers today, believers today are better off now than those who were alive before his ascension were. Maybe that thought surprises you, but it is the teaching of Scripture. Believers today, including us this evening, are better off now than those who were alive before his ascension were. And the reason for that is because Jesus' ascension into heaven paved the way for him to then send the Holy Spirit to us from heaven. So R.C. Sproul explains it like this. He says, before Pentecost could come and the Holy Spirit could be poured out upon the church, it was necessary for Christ to ascend so that together with the Father, he might dispatch from heaven the Holy Spirit in all of his power. As hard as it is to imagine, the condition that we enjoy right now on this side of the ascension and this side of Pentecost is a greater situation than that which the disciples enjoyed during their three-year tenure in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Now, if you doubt that, then it, it actually comes from the lips of Jesus himself, again in the upper room with his disciples. He's teaching his disciples there, of course, and he's preparing them for all that's about to happen. And in the midst of that, he, he says these words. Listen to them carefully. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It is to your advantage, says Jesus. The ascension paves the way for the sending of the Spirit from heaven. And therefore, ironically, the ascension of Jesus means that he is more present with the church now than he was when he walked the earth. William Hendrickson, I think, captures this irony so well. He writes, Jesus departed in order to remain with his church. In fact, now more than ever. When he was still on earth, he was not able physically to be everywhere at the same time. But now that he is in heaven, he is able in and through the Holy Spirit to be everywhere not bodily, but spiritually. Also, while he was on earth, he was present with the church. Now, he is present in the church. 
In other words, he has departed from us in order to draw closer to us. The ascension, therefore, paves the way for Jesus to send the Spirit from heaven. And in that departure from us, ultimately Jesus has drawn closer to his people than he ever was in those three years that he was involved in public ministry with his disciples. And I hope you see, therefore, this evening why the ascension of Jesus is so important for us as Christians. It's for these four reasons, mainly. Uh, The ascension shows us that Jesus is king in heaven and that we have an advocate in heaven. It assures us that our entrance into heaven has been made open through Christ and it paves the way for the sending of the Spirit from heaven, which took place then at Pentecost. And as we close this evening, I want us to consider just briefly now how to respond to all of these things. We've seen, haven't we, that Jesus blesses his disciples, and he still does. And Jesus has ascended to heaven. And we've looked at all that that means for us as the church today. So how do we respond as Christ's people to these truths? Well, we've mentioned already a few ways in which this applies to us. But I want to focus... Uh, in these last few minutes on how the disciples themselves on that particular day responded to the truth of the ascension. And just very, very quickly notice four ways in which they responded to the ascension. Number one, worship Jesus. Worship Jesus. That's right at the start of verse 52, isn't it? And they worship him. Now, as I said right at the start, Luke's gospel is the longest of all the gospels. It's longer even than Matthew's gospel, even though Matthew has four chapters more. Luke just has really long chapters. And indeed, this is the the longest book in the New Testament. There are 1,151 verses in Luke's gospel. And chapter 24, verse 52, the second to last verse is the first time the disciples worship Jesus. I wonder if you've ever noticed that before. The second to last verse of all of these hundreds and hundreds of verses. And it's the first time the disciples worship Jesus. And you see, finally they've got it, haven't they? Finally they've understood the fullness of who Jesus is. That he is indeed God. He's worthy, therefore, not just of their admiration, And not just their respect. But he he is worthy of all of their worship. And therefore as he ascends to heaven. Returning to his father. uh, The disciples worship Jesus. That's the first and the most important response to the ascension isn't it? Worship Jesus. Because he is God. Let me ask you. Have you responded that way to him? Have you come to see that Jesus is God? And therefore, do you worship him? And then the second response is this, obey Jesus. Obey Jesus. Luke tells us that having worshipped Jesus, the disciples then returned to Jerusalem. Now, don't miss the significance of that little phrase there. It's easy to miss it, but just consider the, the previous verses. What had Jesus just said to them three verses beforehand? It said to them, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father, that is the the Holy Spirit, upon you. 
but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so the final command that Jesus gives to his disciples here in Luke's gospel is simply for them to go back to Jerusalem and stay there. And stay there until the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. And their response in this very simple way is just to obey the word of Jesus that he'd given to them those few minutes beforehand. And it's the right response to the ascension, isn't it, once again? If the ascension shows that Jesus is king in heaven, well, not only must we worship him, but also we must obey him as our king. We must listen to his word, and by his grace, we must do what he says. Again, ask yourself, are you living in obedience to the ascended Lord Jesus? Do you listen to his word and obey what it says with his help? So worship Jesus, obey Jesus. And then the third response is this, rejoice in Jesus. Now Luke is a a very skilled writer. And I want you to notice this, that the way that he chooses to, to finish this book deliberately is intended to echo the way that he started this book. I don't know if you've noticed that before, the way that the end reflects the beginning of Luke's gospel. Now we mentioned that just briefly last week if you recall um, when we saw that at the start of Luke's gospel at the birth of Jesus the angels sing about peace on earth and then at the end of Luke's gospel Jesus then appears to his disciples and says to them peace to you and you see what Luke was doing there don't you the the end of the gospel reflects the beginning of the gospel And Luke keeps on doing that as he writes these verses. He does a similar thing here again. He he says that the disciples returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And you're there already, aren't you? You know what this is pointing us back to. It's pointing us back to the start of the Gospels. What did the angels say to the shepherds? They said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. And here that phrase is then reflected at the end of the gospel. Jesus brings great joy to his people. And we respond to the ascension with great joy in Jesus. Because as we've seen, for those in him, our entrance into heaven is now assured. And then the final response is this. Give thanks to God for Jesus. Give thanks to God for Jesus. The final verse tells us that the disciples were continually in the temple, blessing God. And Luke's at it again, yet again. He mirrors the start of the gospel with the end of the gospel. Ask yourself this, what is the very first scene in Luke's gospel? You know the story of Zechariah, don't you, there in chapter 1. The very first story after the little introduction in the first four verses, we, we go and we see there... God's people in the temple, anticipating the coming of their king, their Messiah. And what is the very last scene in the gospel? God's people back in the temple, blessing God for the ascension of their Messiah, their king. And we're told here that continually, every day, Christ's followers, his disciples gathered together, gave thanks to God 
for sending them Jesus, the one who is now ascended to heaven and who is on the throne there. And you see, this is how to respond to the ascension of Jesus and indeed everything that Luke has told us about Jesus in this great book that he has written for us. The response is summed up in these four little things we see right in the last couple of verses. Luke wants us to worship Jesus, obey Jesus, rejoice in Jesus, and give thanks to God for Jesus. And that's all from Luke. Let's pray together now. Our Father, we give to you our praise and our thanksgiving for all that we see in these verses concerning our Lord Jesus, our risen Saviour, the one who blesses his people. And we thank you that Jesus is now ascended to heaven. He is now seated on the throne at your right hand as king over all. And he is there not only as our king, but also as our great high priest, the one who intercedes for us, the one who does so on the basis of his perfect sacrifice and his sinless life. We thank you that Jesus' ascension to heaven assures us that the way there is open for everyone who trusts in him. And we thank you that from heaven he has sent his spirit to us who now dwells in us and who gives us the ability to live for you. And Father, we pray that we would all respond to the ascended Jesus in the right way. Give us hearts, we ask, that worship him, obey him, rejoice in him, and always give thanks to you for him. We ask it all in his glorious name. Amen.